It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and here we plunge headlong into another week of information for you. And we have a lot of important information coming up, like crop progress a little bit later on this afternoon. And we'll kind of set things up for you and how we've gotten underway market-wise as we go through today's program. Hope you came through unscathed with all that weekend wind and weather, and we'll kind of take a review of that as well as we move ahead through today's midday program. First up, we go over to the Ag Information Desk, and there we find Susan Littlefield. Well, hello to everybody. We didn't get the snow on the eastern end like you guys did. Quite and so I've much, already got man. green grass popping through, so that's a good thing. Nice to look out and see that with springtime supposedly here, huh? Exactly. And, you know, lots of things happening in the world of agriculture. More on a global perspective today as Bryce is going to find out more about Argentina officially opening up to U.S. pork. That is the first time since 1992. So some good news for pork producers. And we actually saw a little bit of market reaction back on Friday to that announcement as well. We get more on this tackled issue of U.S. ag companies owned by foreign investment that's being used to leverage in trade negotiations and the role of national security as well. Clay is going to have that coming up at 117, but we'll be domestic at 1245. As we think spring, I want you to think lamb. The American Lamb Board is working hard to promote more American lamb to be on the grills and the plates of families all across the U.S. So we'll dive into that with a knife and fork at 1245. <laughs> very good, Susan. Thanks very much. We'll listen with interest. It's uh, Jason Jorgensen. The weather took a toll on some sports over the weekend. It did. There were many things that uh, just did not happen. I think there was close to five, if not six, baseball games. Major League Baseball were postponed yesterday. I can't remember... I can't ever remember that many not happening in a single day. but And they're also saying that it, you have to go back 10 years to find this many games canceled this yeah, early. I believe that. So we'll touch a little bit on that. Also, we will hear from new UNK Interim Athletic Director Mark Bauer, the former wrestling coach for the Lopers. He was named to that position late on Friday. We'll get his thoughts about that and kind of his uh, vision going forward. He knows for sure he will be Interim AD for at least 16 months. So that's the the tenure right now. Also coming up, we'll hear from Nebraska about the spring football. You know, there's just three practices away from the red-white game, which sounds like we'll have football-type weather on Saturday with some rain and temps really in the lower 40s. Yep. The uh, best fans in America. We'll see how many uh, show up on Saturday for a glorified practice. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, though. It's, uh, I don't put it past anybody to sit that one in, in the stands and watch every second of it. That's uh, too bad we won't have a sunny and about 70-degree day yeah, for that. that. That's the best weather you can get for a really spring is. game. Also, some news on the NFL front. Uh, Broncos reportedly have cut. They have released running back C.J. Anderson in a salary-dumping move. Okay. And Bob Brogan has business. Stocks are moving broadly higher on Wall Street today. Technology and healthcare companies are kind of fueling this rally that's taking place. Also... Um, Home builder confidence sliding for the fourth straight month. Nebraska lawmakers will call it a session this Wednesday after their 60th day. So they'll be exiting the state capitol, but they'll have lots of things to do over the summer and lots of things to talk about. All of this and more on today's Midday. 
All right, we bring in Paul Perkins to find out uh, what kind of a break we get before we <laughs> kind of head back into the uh, well-known pattern. Bit by bit, I guess, snowfall is beginning to fall out of the forecast, but it's not completely gone yet. Yeah, can't rule it out completely this week. Um, <laughs> looks like more likely chances of rain, so that's good news as far as uh, the needed moisture across the area, but... Yeah, once again, we could see some of the snow mixed in with that, especially to the north of I-80 and northern areas of Nebraska. Unbelievable. Ag weather is <laughs> brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. Right now, our temperature is still in the 30s, and it's very cold when you consider our morning lows this time of year are usually in the low to mid-30s. We're still down at 29 in the Ainsworth area, but we have re- rebounded into the low 40s and even some low 50s over the Nebraska Panhandle. Uh, where they have a little bit less snow cover, low 40s over northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado, where it continues to be, unfortunately, very dry. And, Dirk, if you thought the first half of April felt awfully cold, Mm -hmm. you were correct, because (laughs) the first half of April in central Nebraska, the coldest first half of April on record, overall temperatures in the first part of April, nearly 12 degrees colder than normal, 12 degrees colder than normal from what we usually get this in. I can certainly believe it. And over the weekend, we had record cold readings for both daytime highs and morning lows, in addition, of course, to that blizzard moving through the region, paralyzing a lot of the region. Today is going to be milder, but still those temperatures much cooler than normal with some sunshine and some high-pressure slides to the southeast. Winds will get a little bit stronger out of the south, especially over western areas as an area of low pressure starts to get closer. Tomorrow looks to be warmer with a little more wind as that next storm system moves into the region. Rain may be mixed with snow is likely by tomorrow night as that area of low pressure tracks ran along the Nebraska-Kansas border. There will be enough instability with this system that we could see a few thunderstorms tomorrow evening, but no severe weather expected. Temperatures should plummet on the backside of the system as some cooler air filters in from the north, and that will allow for a switch to some snow, mostly north of Interstate 80. And to the north of Highway 92, we could see about 1 to 2 inches of snow with this system. Wednesday and Thursday will be in between systems. Wednesday looks to be a bit on the windy side. Thursday looks to be a pleasant dry day. Then strong low pressure once again. Forecast to lift out of the southwest and onto the plains by Friday. Initially, we could see some rain chances as soon as Thursday night. Mostly rain is expected with that system. And some areas north of Interstate 80 once again could see that possibility for some snow to mix in during the late overnight into the early morning hours when it will be cooler. So once again, Late overnight, early morning hours is when we're primarily looking at maybe seeing some snow mixed in with that. And that could start as soon as late Thursday and maybe last as long as through Sunday morning. Looks like likely chances for rain Friday and Saturday, especially in west and central areas. The rain chance is not as great, though, as you are headed to eastern Nebraska, especially if you're headed to the spring game in Lincoln. Now, at this time, significant snow accumulations are not anticipated, but there's still plenty of time for a change in the track of this low, and we will keep you up to date if there are many, many, any changes. But right now, mainly rain is expected. In the long term, a high likelihood of colder than normal temperatures in both Nebraska and Kansas the early part of next week. Those temperatures late next week through April 29th begin to transition from cooler than normal to more seasonal temperatures as the high pressure ridge starts to build over the southwest. Now, in the late half of April, daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the mid to upper 60s with overnight lows on average in the low 40s. Our precipitation forecast starts wetter than normal early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. That high-pressure ridge over the southwest U.S. starts to block off those precipitation chances late next week, and that will leave Nebraska and Kansas with 
normal to below normal precipitation through the 29th, especially in those later periods, drier than normal looks to be the outlook. Soil temperatures at 7 this morning and 4 inches down in the low 30s in much of Nebraska, especially along and north of I-80. Mid to upper 30s were found for soil temperatures south of I-80 to about I-70. Then to the south of I-70, most soil temperatures were in the low 40s. Key weather factors driving the markets include extensive delays from the cold and snow in the Midwest and a promising rain forecast across the southern plains. Cool weather will dominate the country in the next few days, except for a brief early week burst of wind and warmth across the drought-stricken southern high plains wheat areas. Two additional storms will cross the nation. The first will reach the central plains tomorrow and the northeast by Thursday. A second storm arriving at the end of the week across the nation's midsection. That second system could provide some much-needed precipitation to some dry areas of the central and southern plains. The continued unsettled pattern in the Midwest and Delta likely to further delay spring field work and early corn planting. Another system this week may bring even more snow to northwest growing areas of the Midwest. And that brain could mix with a little bit of snow for tomorrow night. We do have kind of a clash of systems there, a little instability, but not a great chance of thunderstorms out of that. Yeah, maybe some isolated thunderstorms and luckily uh, avoiding some severe weather with this system All coming right. up uh, we'll hope initially for, for tomorrow one. Right. Yeah. Uh, but always remember that in our back pocket we do have Skeeter Barnes, the best beef and barbecue around, and... Of course, American Family Insurance serving Lexington and Carney to bring you any severe storm coverage. We'll bring that as it happens, when it happens. Hopefully not just yet. Keep fingers crossed. And this ag weather has been brought to you by Coolman Repair. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Argentina is now open to U.S. pork. I'm Shaley Peters. Join you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at ag news. Last week, the Office of U.S. Trade Representative and the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced that U.S. pork and pork products are eligible for export to Argentina. U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Halstrom says Argentina is open to a full range of pork muscle cuts and many pork variety meat items are also eligible. Buyer interest has already emerged for the pork shoulder butt and Halstrom also anticipates demand for U.S. hams and picnics to be used as raw material for further processing. He adds that USMEF has been researching the Argentine market for some time in order to identify commercial opportunities for U.S. pork and its South America representative. Jessica Jolka is scheduled to be in Argentina this week to meet with importers and other prospective buyers. Our organization feels like USDA and USTR did a phenomenal job in getting this deal done. Access is pretty much wide open on, on the cut side, so this provides more uh, avenues, more alternatives for uh, destinations for some of these key cuts uh, in a time of, uh, of large production. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited and we're ready to go to work in the region. It'll start as a smaller market. Estimates out there, that you know, we're looking at uh, you know, $10 million a year in sales. We see a lot of upside potential from that number, and especially with some key products. Uh, we already know that Argentina is going to have demand for boneless uh, shoulder butts. We also think there's opportunity for some of the raw material for further processing, things like picnics and hams. And undoubtedly, it could very well be a good market for variety of meats as well. 
Brazil is currently Argentina's primary supplier of imported pork. In 2017, Argentina reported imports of just over 35,000 metric tons of pork and pork variety meat, with meat sourced from Brazil and the remainder from Denmark, Spain, and Italy. Total import value in 2017 was 114.4 million. Argentina's per capita pork consumption has grown rapidly over the past several years, increasing nearly 60 percent since 2011 to 13.5 kilograms. Argentina is the third largest pork importing country in South America behind Chile and Colombia. And a relief fund has been established by the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Foundation to help ranchers affected by the ongoing wildfires in western Oklahoma. According to OCF, 100% of the donations will be distributed to affected ranchers. OCF is the charitable arm of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association and monetary donations can be made online at www.okcattlemen.org or by sending a check to OCF. One thing we've learned from the wildfires in the past few years is that folks are quick to want to help those in unfortunate situations, and that is truly humbling, said OCF coordinator Tiffany Pruitt. We will coordinate with the extension offices in the affected areas to organize relief efforts and to identify ranchers that are in need. For those interested in donating, you can find those numbers and more information by visiting ruralradio.com. And U.S. Secretary of Agriculture is applauding President Donald Trump's selection of James Hubbard to be the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Undersecretary for Natural Resources and Environment. Following the announcement, Secretary Purdue issued the following statement. I am very excited by the selection of Jim Hubbard for this leadership role at USDA. Congress passed and President Trump signed into law meaningful reforms and forest management tools that will help us better maintain our national forests. Under Jim Hubbard's leadership, we will put these tools to use, restore our forests to health, and get back to work for taxpayers. Jim's service with the Forest Service and Department of Interior makes him exceptionally qualified for this post, and I am eager to have Jim join the team. And that's a quick look at your midday ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Argentina is officially open to U.S. pork. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskate reporting. The U.S. and Argentina finalized an export certificate allowing the American pork industry to ship products to the South American country. Joe Sheely is the Vice President of Communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joe, let's first talk about the historical context. What caused the ban on U.S. pork to begin with? Well, that's a little hard to pinpoint. There have been a number of animal health and political issues that have inhibited meat trade between the U.S. and Argentina over the years. I think the last time we actually exported any pork to Argentina was 1992. Back in those days, the U.S. was not really a a large global exporter of pork. And so uh, over the years, we've, uh, we've tried to get this worked out, tried to get an agreement on export requirements and just simply never have been able to, and that's changed now, and, and we're looking forward to a new market that uh, that definitely shows some promise. Well, let's talk more about that, Joe. How big of an opportunity can this be for U.S. pork producers? Well, uh, we've had a lot of success in South America with U.S. pork. Uh, there's a tendency to believe that uh, South America produces a lot of protein and that opportunities for U.S. product might be pretty limited there, but we've uh, we've had really excellent success especially in Colombia and Chile with US pork we've also made some inroads into Peru and so we think Argentina is a nice addition now we do not have a free trade agreement 
with Argentina, so we're looking at uh, tariffs there of in the 10 to 12 percent range, which aren't really prohibitive, but Argentina does take Brazilian pork duty-free, and Brazil has a pretty strong foothold in the market. The good news is that our Argentina's pork consumption, its per capita pork consumption, has really been rising uh, at a at a at a rapid rate the past few years. So we think there's opportunity for further growth there, uh, not just trying to displace Brazilian pork and domestic pork, but actual uh, opportunities to grow the market. And so we uh, we look forward to it. I think it will take some time. Uh, we have a, a formidable competitor there uh, that that's well-established in the market, but we do think that there are, are some pretty solid uh, opportunities uh, for, for U.S. exporters. Is there a next bullseye you all have your eyes set on, specifically in terms of pork, for uh, who the next target is to go after? I wouldn't really have a, uh, a specific country that we're we're looking to tap. I know we're we're definitely we did some exploratory work just in the past couple of months in India. Uh, we don't see that being a, a huge market, but certainly have a large population there, and they are consuming more and more protein, and so. India is one possibility. Uh, we've also seen some opportunities surface in uh, West Africa and South Africa, so those are some, some countries we certainly have our eyes on. Uh, and, and in Latin America, we think there's room for further, further growth. We have access to most of the major markets in Central and South America, but uh, Brazil would be the exception. Uh, but we feel like there's there's opportunity for for further growth there as well as in Southeast Asia. So those are some emerging regions that we do see further opportunities for U.S. pork. I think another one I would add would be Central Asia, uh, countries like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. Uh, those are pork consuming countries, and we feel like there's uh, opportunities to to tap into those markets. That's Joe Sheely, U.S. Meat Export Federation Vice President of Communications. I'm Bryce Duskett, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, former UNK wrestling coach Mark Bauer has been named the interim athletic director for the Lopers, and he sums up his goals as he takes over in Kearney. Honor and a privilege. That's, that's how I describe it, to be selected and be asked to continue what Paul Polinsky has been doing here for the last five years and and just uh, help guide the ship a little bit. Uh, you know what, we've obviously had a little turbulent waters here over the last couple months, but uh, just excited for the opportunity to roll up my sleeves, dig in and help, help however I can. Bauer's first day is set for May 7th. This will be a 16-month term as the school will conduct a national search to fill that position. Husker football team is down to just three practices this spring, and defensive coordinator Eric Chenander breaks down what he's seen over the last week or so. I thought Tuesday we were pretty good. I thought Thursday we were down. I thought today we were a lot better. Uh, so I just want them. Right now, I'm trying to get some consistency out of everybody, out of the whole unit. You know, a, a little more, a little more fight when it's tough. We went outside; it got a little cold. I think both sides of the ball went down a little bit. They're used to practicing inside. I need to see a little more fight when it when it gets when things get rough. Saturday's red-white game is set for 11 in Lincoln. 
Denver has reportedly released running back C.J. Anderson. That move clears a combined $9 million off of the books over the next two years and opens a way for Devontae Booker, D'Angelo Henderson, or a pick in the upcoming draft to take over as a Broncos featured back. Anderson hits free agency at a good time. He's just 27. He has less than 700 career carries and is coming up his best season, one in which he played in all 16 games and ran for a career-best 1,007 yards. An undrafted free agent out of Cal in 2013, he signed a four-year, $18 million deal in Denver a few months after scoring the game-sealing touchdown in Super Bowl 50. And former Nebraska star Richie Incognito announced his retirement last week, but over the weekend, he changed his mind. He now took to his official Twitter account to announce that he wasn't going to end his career just yet, and he was planning to report for the beginning of the offseason program today. And longtime Steelers linebacker James Harrison is taking a second crack at retirement. Five-time Pro Bowler and 2008 NFL Defensive Player of the Year announced on Instagram he is stepping away from the game following a 15-year career. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear to partly cloudy tonight, lows mid-20s to lower 30s. I'm Dave Schroeder. The developer of the Keystone XL Pipeline plans to meet with landowners along its planned route through Nebraska this week and will start surveying for the projects in Nebraska, South Dakota, and Montana. TransCanada spokesman Matt John said that the company will visit all landowners along the proposed route with financial offers. Company officials are forging ahead despite pending lawsuits in Nebraska and Montana that aim to derail the project. John says company officials will offer a construction completion bonus as a new incentive to get landowners to sign lease agreements. They also plan to award bonuses to early signers and will give landowners time to review the contracts with outside attorneys. Opponents say they're still trying to block the project. The Lincoln School District is encouraging its minority students to consider diversifying Nebraska's teaching workforce. The district's multicultural administrator, Thomas Christie, hosted a workshop for about 60 students of different races on Friday to learn about becoming educators. More than 5% of educators at Lincoln Public Schools are people of color, while 33% of the district's students are racial or ethnic minorities. Nebraska's Education Commissioner Matt Bloomstad says the state would need to hire seven times more African Americans and Native American educators and 11 times more Hispanic educators to reflect the current student population. The state's Education Department has joined nine other states in an initiative aiming to revise state policies to encourage a more diversified workforce by the year 2020. Federal authorities say another mild earthquake has occurred under central Nebraska. The U.S. Geological Survey says the latest occurred around 6.40 Sunday evening, about three miles under the surface, 20 miles east-southeast of Stapleton. It was rated a 2.6 magnitude tembler. It was the area's fifth quake in a week. No damage or injuries have been reported. R. Lee Ermey, a former Marine who made a career in Hollywood playing hard-nosed military men like Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in Full Metal Jacket, has died. Ermey's longtime manager, Bill Rogan, says he died Sunday morning from pneumonia-related complications. The Kansas native was 74. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away anytime. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. 
There's a goal to increase your consumption of lamb. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Jim Percival, a sheep producer from the state of Ohio, is chairman of the American Lamb Board. He talked to me about their goals to increase consumption and awareness of American lamb. Yes, if if we can achieve uh, 2% per year, um, that will make a lot of folks happy. Um, and then it's incumbent upon the board and everyone to to grow the awareness and expand the usage of American lamb among the chefs and the consumers here in the United States. What are some ways that you're going to be reaching out, not only to chefs but those consumers, because I know the urban is such a strong area for you guys to promote American lamb? Well, one of the things that we do um, and we are, are working very hard at is our electronic footprint and working with bloggers, uh, nutritionists, chefs, and all of those folks to, uh, you know, to expand that electronic footprint because, as you know, one of the main uh, groups that we're working with right now or one of the main focuses for us is the millennials. Um, the millennials are very, very uh, adventurous eaters. They love lamb. They love the fact that lamb is a, a protein that is, uh, you know, not the norm. It's different. And so one of the ways that we can work with them is, is through uh, blogs and the electronic footprint of the American Land Board. And they're, they're great folks for you to reach out to because um, they're the ones that are adventurous. They're, want, like you said, wanting to try new things. But they, in turn, I think, will get their parents to want to try new things and their friends as well to try new things. Well, and that's one of the great things about lamb is it's so diverse. Um, you can do anything um, with lamb. And one of the big things we find is, you know, as, as spring uh, gets closer and gets here, people love to grill. And, uh, you know, grilling lamb, uh, anything from lamb chops all the way to lamb burgers is becoming very popular. So you're right. There's a lot of different ways that people can try it. Well, I, I love how the, the really the trends have changed so much, Jim. I mean, we used to think of, of lamb as something we only had at Easter. Now, it's not uncommon to see folks pick up a lamb chop and, and throw it on the grill for, for a good family meal. Absolutely, and that's one of the great things. Uh, you know, lamb is, is a very diverse protein, and you can, uh, you know, lamb chili is is an excellent way that you can take maybe a cut of lamb that uh, people don't normally think of as using, but may put that in your chili, and all of a sudden you've got a, a different bold taste, but you're also being able to use those cuts that maybe you don't think about using. You did talk about the you know the, the five core areas for you guys, the, the core strengths, and you mentioned growth and promotion. What about improvement of that lamb? Well, one of the things that we do, obviously, is work with our partners, uh, the university community, um, and what we are trying to do is make sure that when any consumer picks up uh, any cut of lamb, they're getting that same 
adventurous, unique quality and taste, uh, whether you're in New York City, San Francisco, or anywhere in between, you're still getting that quality taste. So one of the things we're doing right now is working uh, with our university partners to make sure that as those lambs come down the line, they can be tested to make sure that that taste is going to be what they expect. What are some of the things that that consumers are looking for that they're telling you guys they'd like to see in that lamb quality of product? Well, one of the things, uh, Americans, uh, we just had a study uh, that uh, we didn't have it done, but somebody else had it done with several universities, uh, including Texas A&M and others, that, that showed that Americans like that taste of American lamb. They like it better than the taste of, of uh, Australian or New Zealand lamb. And one of the things, the tenderness is always uh, one of the things that people say, you know what, when I pick up a lamb or a lamb chop or a lamb steak or a leg of lamb, I want it to be tender. And, again, we kind of fall back to that adventurous eating taste. It does. They don't want it to taste just like any other protein. They want that flavor, that lamb flavor, um, and but they don't want it so bold that it, it it has an off taste. Those comments coming from the chairman of the American Lamb Board, Jim Percival. You can find out more at AmericanLamb.org. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Now let's get a review of the livestock futures trade from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, mixed out of the cattle today uh, after a pretty uh, hefty start. Started out uh, over a dollar higher on on a lot of the contracts. But uh, based upon the uh, cash trade that took place last week, which was uh, 120 reported, and I've heard maybe there was some 122. That obviously started us off on on a... fast track, but as the day wore on, uh, cutouts came out uh, a little bit lower, and then we began to sink, and uh, we ended up uh, finishing mixed in the uh, in the cattle. Uh, the feeders, uh, the same thing, uh, just finishing uh, a little bit uh, uh, mixed, uh, nothing uh, of any consequence there, but uh, uh, everything just, the cattle market just seemed to fade uh, throughout the day. Uh, after uh, a very quick and, and strong start. The hogs, on the other hand, uh, just kind of drifted lower all day long, got some triple-digit losses there. Cash seemed to be uh, a little bit on the soft side. Cutouts were higher, uh, uh, but considering the uh, premiums that were coming into with the uh, hogs to the index, even though it's climbing, is uh, a little uh, steep, so I think a lot of that was uh, some profit-taking uh, from the recent uh, buying that took place. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter today estimated at 116,000, 2,000 less than last Monday, 9,000 more than a year ago. Hog slaughter, 464,000, 14,000 more than one week ago. This is the Rural Radio Network. 
The U.S. is currently involved in several trade negotiations as well. When President Trump placed tariffs on steel and aluminum, he used the plea as national security. But what about ag companies with large foreign investment ownership? Can they be used as leverage in trade? And what about their national security perspective? We find out here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Veronica Nye, American Farm Bureau economist, joins us to discuss these issues. And Veronica, we start here with trade. Can these companies owned by foreign investments be used as leverage in trade negotiations? That's an interesting question, and and you're right. The global crime, uh, trade climate is 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 well put at volatile at the moment. I typically don't uh, lose a lot of sleep over over companies being being used as as leverage, mainly because these companies and and different con- countries are really trying to make these decisions based on on the market and and what's going on, and you know trying to avoid different uh, different tariffs or different restrictions and and different. Uh, countries, and I don't think that's something that folks could, should lose a lot of sleep over. Uh, again, some, something to keep an eye on, but we we typically have not seen that when negotiators sit down from each country. They're typically looking at flows uh, of product, not necessarily the ownership and you know who who is processing it uh, along the way. And then when we look at uh, this overall national security, of course, President Trump, uh, when he was making the plea for uh, steel and aluminum tariffs, harked it back to U.S. critical infrastructure and national security. Does foreign ownership in these U.S. livestock packing companies or in just U.S. ag production in general, does that ever create a threat to critical U.S. infrastructure? Well, I, I come back to the point that when a company is operating in the U.S., it's following our uh, laws and, and regulations. It's being certainly being followed very closely by GIPSA. They're reporting their, their activities throughout the year. Um, it's being watched by uh, U.S. legislators and, and the U.S. industry. I don't think that there's a, there's a threat there. There's a lot of, of watch, watchful eyes taking a look at these transactions and, and trying to ensure that, that we're not putting U.S. security at risk. So I, I think that's probably one of the, maybe the larger misconceptions out there is that, that U.S. Uh, foreign companies are entering the U.S. market without any oversight from the U.S. government, and that's really not occurring in, in the way that, that maybe we're being led to believe. Veronica, final question here. Moving forward, do you see foreign companies being limited in the amount of stake they can have in U.S. ag companies, or do we kind of see business continuing on as normal as we're seeing it now? Well, I think we're in a, in a different climate as far as investment is concerned. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see changes in, in the laws regulating who can invest in the U.S. and at what level and what industries are considered uh, most critical. Um, and then, you know, from an investor standpoint, I think we've got a couple of different things going on here. You have the U.S. government actions, but you could also see companies more, foreign companies more interested in investing in the U.S. Um, for fear that their exports from their home country into the U.S. might be limited. Therefore, the, the way to produce and make more revenues for their company would be to invest on the U.S. side. A couple of different push and pulls going on there, and I'll give you the typical uh, economist response that it depends. <laughs> Uh, on on actions out of the, the executive branch and, and the legislative branch. So we'll see, but I, I certainly think that it's much more ripe for changes in those rules um, in this in the current area than it has been maybe um, in, in the recent past. That again, American Farm Bureau Federation economist Veronica Nye joining us tackling the tough issues of agriculture companies being used as leverage in trade and their national security position. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we start off a trading week uh, with a lot of commercial selling the way it looked. As we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. It really hurt the wheat trade, but I was wanting to start with soybeans. They opened higher. What happened? Yeah, just I think it was ready to be sold. It held up, had a good crush number, and then after that crush number came out, I think it looked around and said, hey, everything else is starting to fall a little bit. We need to catch up and broke about seven to eight cents there into the close. Beans to me feel, and then the chart's kind of looking to confirm this, that uh, you know, maybe they're about 15, 20 cents too high here. Uh, as corn comes off, wheat liquidates itself, and, and soybeans will deliver here uh, in a couple of days, or a couple of weeks, rather. And that's the important thing. I think everybody, you know, rewind this back to February when we were trading 350 to 360 in that range, and it just didn't seem to want to get out of that until the delivery passed for March delivery. It's kind of the same trade here. I, I don't think July wants to get above $4 yet. I think it's reserving that move for later in May and, and June. As there's a story, still a lot of grain that needs to clear here in the short term, uh, regardless of what's going on in the fields. That supply needs to turn itself into cash, and it'll do so in the next two weeks. So I look for a little bit of a pause in the grain markets here, and then things to resume once we get into May. Trade volume wasn't uh, all that spectacular in corn and soybeans, were they? No, not at all. And, I mean, it just tells me I think you got short covering combined with a little bit of profit-taking. Uh, not a whole lot of new shorting going on, although I do think that this thing, you know, will, will run down to 1020 again uh, just on its own accord. I don't think it needs a big push to get itself to cheapen up a little bit. May delivery right upon us. Uh, a lot of seed beans need to be priced here in the next couple of weeks as well. I, I know guys out in eastern Iowa that had them priced off the 15th, so I think that's kind of a, another equation here as folks are, are you know, covering risk uh, as the planning begins. Um, but I would tell folks, I mean, as far as the wheat goes, I think that's the leader here, and I think we've made the move. We're starting to see prices overseas rally, uh, which is a good sign, so that, that spread between Russia and the U.S. high-protein high uh, price is starting to come in, and uh, you know, I don't think this thing has a whole lot more to go. Uh, if you're looking to buy, I think you reserve those buys for somewhere in like the high 480s uh, for July, but I do expect another leg to the move higher, uh, probably another push-up at least to 520 before we see, uh, see it back off. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, and uh, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Be sure to go to, con- go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Now, in the wheat trade, there's still a lot of speculation here why wheat was down when we have the poor crop conditions in hard red winter wheat country, the big delays in spring wheat planting as well. But that remains to be seen. Maybe we'll see a rally. This is the Rural Radio Network.